morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Jackie, thank you so much for sharing that about the Godfrey Bertel song. I thought that was um, absolutely spot on. And uh, thanks for it. It would have been easy not to say anything. Um, so thank you for that. That's brilliant. And I just want to say, I Chris, the, the point about home group and having a word each for the year um i think this is maybe something that all of us want to just think about i i do think that god, god doesn't work in years you know he doesn't work in frameworks like january the 1st to 31st of december but there is something about god saying um this is the thing for you for now um i found over the last three or four years that every year i can get a word that becomes more and more apparent as the year goes by and so i just wonder if each of you might want to just spend a, a bit of time in the next week or so saying okay god give me give me a word validate it let me hear it from other people and then just watch as god unpacks it over the year and does some stuff with it i, I really think there's something in that um as well um and i say that partly because my my word that I thought was the word for this year, 2021, has been validated this morning. And I'd really ask God, is this the right word? Um, so the good news for you is um, you're not about to have a talk about giving, which doesn't fit at all with all the stuff that God's been doing this morning and in the last week. Um, because Matthew chapter six, verses one to four are not really all about giving. Um, and that's the good news. So um, I'll just explain what I mean by that. So we, we're now coming into a, a chapter, which is called chapter six of the Sermon on the Mount. We've done chapter five. But of course, just as God doesn't work by units, which we call minutes and seconds and hours and days and weeks and years, he doesn't work in chapters and verses. Um, the Bible was put together by lots of different people over a long period of time. It just so happens that we're now looking at what is called to us Matthew chapter six. Um, so we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, I'm really conscious that we are in a second national lockdown where freedom feels restricted, where the schools are meant to be closed, where only essential shops are meant to be open, um, where we are meant to be holed up in our houses apart from essential things. But I want to just explain why I still think that looking at the Sermon on the Mount and looking at this series is the right decision for us and why it's so timely. And that's firstly, because as Josephine prayed, and as we know, the kingdom of God is eternal. God chose before the creation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He made man, woman, men, women to be with him, to be with him um, and to be with each other both now and throughout eternity. And this sermon is, I think, the longest recorded section of speech from Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God, who is the eternal Saviour. So we have to look at things like this at times when everything feels unsettled and insecure. 
Um, we've already seen that Jesus talks about the Beatitudes. He talks about the way that followers should behave and think. He says, you're salt and light. You shine like lights. You act like salt in a broken world. He's telling us that he is the fulfillment of everything that's come before in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the law. And he's saying that rather than coming to break and abolish and destroy, he's coming not to bring a new set of rules, but to enlighten what has gone before. So just like essentially when Jacob suddenly realised oh my god you have been there you are here we are bethel we are in a place a house of god so jesus came to enlighten everything that had gone before and to show actually you kind of had heard it but i'm showing it to you again in a new way so in chapter five he then says i want to tell you more about how you behave towards each other I'm going to talk about murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and revenge and all those things that you think are important and you've been taught about. But how much more relevant could our last session be, led so well by Kelly, about loving our enemies? These things are timeless. Think about the events that happened in America only this last week. This is a really precious vital time to hear about loving our enemies to hear about how we behave towards one another this is a timeless message and it's really relevant for today so come with us into chapter six that's what we're going to look at and we're going to see how chapter six builds on chapter five so where chapter five seems to end with all these practical actions and focuses on the fulfillment of the law saying it's it's not just about not doing certain things it's not be a good christian be a good jew don't kill don't have an affair don't divorce don't make oaths it's much much deeper it's about committing to other people based on loving not just your friends and your family but loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you rather than seeking to destroy them. So we're now going into a slightly different section. Jesus has said, look, it, it's about being humble. It's about seeking God's kingdom first. It's about behaving towards others in a way that is revolutionary. But what we're now going to go into is a section which a lot of people call the spiritual disciplines. And we heard several months, possibly a year or so ago, from Chris, from Rich, from Katie, from a number of people about these spiritual disciplines. And many of you will remember that we talked about a book by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. Um, Richard Foster, a Quaker, who's written a lot about disciplines like giving and praying and fasting and solitude and silence. And these are good things um, that Jesus is going to talk about now in the next few weeks for us. So this section is, is about discipline. And that does mean that some of this is about stuff we have to do. But I don't think Jesus is just talking about giving, praying, fasting here and how we do them. 
I think what I want to start with is chapter six, verse one, because I really think that that is a timely verse. It's a verse that then unlocks at least the next 25, 30 verses of Matthew chapter six, because what the verse basically says is, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And that's the key verse for the next few weeks. And that's the verse for you and me now. Don't do your stuff just to please people. Don't do your stuff just because it makes you feel good. Do your stuff because you want to, to honour your heavenly father. Whatever you do, do it as Drew Cromwell would say, do it for an audience of one. That's not to say that we don't care about ourselves and it's not to say that we don't care about other people, but we are doing those things because we understand what God has done for us. So we are looking to please our Heavenly Father. And as we read the sections that are coming, all of this is about focusing on heaven first. It's all about building up treasures in heaven and saying that if you focus on the kingdom of God, if you focus on God's righteousness and being the righteousness of God on earth, everything else is going to follow. And I am going to quote here um, that classic text, Gladiator by Ridley Scott, um, which has Russell Crowe in the lead of, of the... And, uh, and one of the things in Gladiator that really strikes true is what we do now echoes in eternity. What we do now on earth echoes in eternity. So the way we behave now in the pandemic, the way we always behave on earth, it echoes through eternity. We're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will sort itself out. We're going to hear that later in chapter six. And Jesus himself says, I only do what I see my father doing. It's the foundation for him. It's about living and working and operating and thinking and behaving to please God. And it really does seem to me that these are very, very countercultural things. These, these are not the way that the earth operates. So if you have a look, at what's coming, let me just explain it. So if you want to make money and money helps you buy things, then giving isn't clever. So giving your money away is not clever if what you want to do is increase your wealth. It just doesn't work. If I've got 10 quid and I give five pounds away, I just have got less money. If I've got two coins and I give two coins away, I've got no coins, otherwise known as nothing. That is just logical in an earthly mathematical way. If I pray, there's no concrete practical proof that I'm doing anything. There's no ev evidence, there's no chain of I am praying and this is happening. Praying can't be seen and it can easily feel like a heck of a waste of time when there's so much to do. There's so much that we could be doing rather than just sat somewhere 
and just praying to someone who might or might not be there and might not or might answer. And similarly with fasting, fasting is completely countercultural. Now, I've got an interesting relationship with fasting because like Chris, I like food. I, you know, I look, come on. I like food. They're right by me. I like food, Chris. But on an earthly level, if you do not eat, you will die. So just like if you give everything you own away, you will have zero. And if you pray to somebody out there and do nothing, things will go wrong. And if you don't eat, you will die. We're, there must be something about what Jesus is saying here that is countercultural and that is really different from the way that we are taught to live. And that, of course, is about the point that we are meant to focus on the kingdom of heaven, the unseen kingdom, which is more important than the visible. So in the Lord's Prayer, and we've heard this at least once today, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray your kingdom come, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. That is why Jesus gave up his life. We saw one clip of it in the video a little bit earlier. There is nothing logical or sensible or earthly wise about dying so that you can actually achieve. It doesn't make sense. And yet, if you know that you have a hope like an anchor that there is an eternal kingdom and that you are part of it, that this planet and that our life on it is not just not everything, but is just a small bit of an eternal cosmic plan built by a God who loves us, then suddenly your perspective about giving, about money, about food, about prayer, about silence, about action, your perspective is really, really different. And I would encourage you, if nothing else from today, to focus on the fact that there is an eternal kingdom that God says to us, we can drag hold of that kingdom and we can bring it into the present right here and right now, into this world where people are shaken, they're rocky, they're insecure. As Karen said, how on earth do they get through it with no God, with no eternal perspective? Are they just perhaps making it up as they go along day by day? I wouldn't dare to suggest that governments are doing that at the moment near us. However, we have an eternal hope that is sure and that is steadfast. And I don't want to say too much about politics here. Um, I really don't, because politics is just one construct um, that exists on earth. But I do want to say something about economics, which is equally a bit of a construct on this earth. And the reason I want to say something about economics is because we live in a capitalist economic system. And what that means is we live in a system that is built on, if you work hard and have the right freedoms, you can have the freedom to buy and to build and to flourish. That is our system. And it's built on the idea in this country, in the West, that 
you are allowed to acquire more money, you're allowed to get more food, you're allowed to get more possessions, you're allowed to develop wealth, and that wealth is a good thing. Now, wealth is not necessarily a bad thing. Wealth and money and possessions are not necessarily bad things. But we're going to read a little bit later in chapter six, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is a phrase, mammon, um, it, it's more a concept really than a god, although some cultures did have mammon as a god. It's not just money, it's about possessions and things. Um, and what Jesus is trying to say here is seek first the kingdom of God, seek God first, seek eternity first, and everything else will be sorted out. What he's saying is, don't seek money, don't seek wealth, don't seek food. Those things are okay, and you need some of those things. But it feels to me what Jesus is constantly doing in his ministry is saying, yeah, 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 I know you need money, but I can provide it like that. I know you need food, but I can actually survive supernaturally without food and drink. I can transcend food. I can transcend money. I can produce what you need at the right time if you seek me first, if you put me first. And so we serve God because we're operating in a different time frame. We're not operating for now and next week and last week. We are seeking and serving God because we're building up treasures for eternity, most of which is going to be actually after we die. So if we're building up possessions now, then we are just building them up for the here and now, for the next few years, for maybe 50 years or 60 years or 80 years. Now, as I said, I'm not saying it is wrong to think about today. Jesus does say it's okay to think about today. There's enough troubles for today. You can think about them. But don't stress about the past. Don't stress about tomorrow. Focus on him. Cast your cares and your burdens on him and he will look after you. So back to Matthew 6, chapter uh, 6, verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to. Be careful. So this is Jesus, son of God, the Messiah, saying, be careful how you do your stuff. Be careful who you're trying to please. He then says, be careful to do your acts of righteousness. So he is being clear here that we should do acts of righteousness. We should do good things. He's not saying don't do them. He's saying be careful when you do them what your motive is. So we should definitely give. We should definitely pray. We should definitely fast. He said, for goodness sake, in chapter five, that we're meant to be salt and light so people see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So we are meant to do good stuff and we are meant to be known for doing good things. That's how we shine. But 
the reasoning and the reasons why we do them are really important. The main thing he says is don't do them in front of people so that they can see and reward you. His point is, if we're doing these things secretly without looking for reward on earth, then God the Father will know what we're doing rather than other people. Now, I haven't recently seen anybody walking through the streets with a trumpeter in front of them with money ready to give it away. But I do see quite regularly on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter people talking about all the good things they're doing. And I think that's probably one of the closest things that we can get. In those days, if you gave money, then you would go to the temple, you would take your big bags with you and you would whack it down on a table and go, there you go, that's my offering. And what God is really after is the heart. He's always been after the heart. So the point is, do give. And when we give, we do it for God. We can give hilariously. We can give generously. We can enjoy giving. This passage is not telling us that it's a heavy, heavy thing. This passage is saying, when you give, do it for God. Do it to please God, not for the glory that you can get from other people. If you whack on Facebook, look at me, I've been giving hundreds of pounds to food banks, etc. So what Jesus is saying when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, is really, I think, some of that hyperbole, some of that exaggerated speech that he uses when he says, um, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And also, if your right hand causes you to sin, then just cut it off. Now, if all of us cut off our hands every time we sinned, not one of us would have any hands left. So he can't be saying, you have to do it, you must do it. What he's basically saying is, it's this important. It's really, really important that what you start doing is developing a secret relationship, a secret life with God. So enjoy giving. You need to give. You should give. But it's not about I'm giving because it's a sense of duty. We're giving because we realize what it is that God has given to us. So we're not going to be like the hypocrites. We're not going to be like the Pharisees, the Jewish rulers, who Jesus slates, criticizes, challenges. The, the point is, don't be a hypocrite. And this is mentioned at the start of the passage about giving. It's mentioned at the start of the passage about praying. And it's mentioned at the start of the passage um, about fasting. When we do these things, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrite is an interesting word because hypocrite really comes from the Greek theatre and it's about two faces. So a hypocrite is somebody who looks like one thing in public, but underneath is a different thing. So you remember Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed sepulchres. And what he means by that is, it's like you are these beautiful white grave stones or tombs, 
but inside you stink of death and sin and evil. So what Jesus is saying here is don't try and be something you're not. Don't present yourself as being awesome when actually inside and in private and in secret, you're a shocker. Now, we know that no one is perfect. But the message that Jesus is getting through here is don't try and present yourself as awesome and amazing. I know you are and I will look after you. And that's how you've got your eternal home. But please me. Don't keep going out there parading yourself as something special. Just keep faithfully serving me and I will reward you. So in chapter five, where we're reading about shining like stars and letting people seeing our good works, the reason that we are doing those things is so that people can glorify God not glorify the person who's giving the money, not glorify the act of service or the act of praying. And it's really easy to think, wow, Anthony's an awesome prayer. Or wow, that Josephine prayer, that was phenomenal. But actually, God, is, God isn't so bothered about the words we use or the volume of money we give away. What he's always been concerned about is, are we doing things because we want to thank him and bless him and tell him we are yours, God. We do what, what you say. And we talked about obedience a little bit earlier and um, about this debate about whether obedience is easy or not. I, I find obedience quite hard sometimes because unfortunately I do find some things that are sinful um, and some things that are just not helpful can be really nice like full boxes of Lindor chocolates and some of the TV stuff that is just really engaging, but I'm not convinced it does me good. And there are so many ways in the world at the moment, so many things you can see or read or look at or do that are just not really helpful or godly at their core. So the message in this passage is all about trying to do everything we can to please God, to please Jesus, to put him first rather than behaving as everybody else in the world does. And in Luke chapter six, just to say something more about giving, in Luke chapter six, Jesus himself says, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is saying in a passage that is kind of similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, give and you will be blessed. So going back to our countercultural thing, it isn't logical that if you've only got a few quid and you give most of it away, that you'll end up with more. But many of us on this call, and Christians throughout the ages have found that if we give money away, physical money away, God does reward us and bless us and honour us with not just money, but everything else. So we are meant to give away and we are meant to give away generously. And 
as I've said, the Greek word about giving when, when Jesus says God loves a cheerful giver, it's a hilarious giver. It's a massive giver. As a church, we've, we've been brilliant at giving, not just in the last years, but even in the last few weeks. We as a church will be rewarded because we are a giving church. And as individuals, we will be rewarded because we are a giving set of individuals. But the reward isn't always about money. Sometimes the reward is just as Chris was saying about Jacob when he wrestled with God. Sometimes the reward is that overwhelming sense of it's all okay. It doesn't matter. I've got an eternal father who loves me and cares for me. And whatever happens to me on this earth, I am secure and I am looked after. And the reason that giving is so significant isn't just because everything is God's anyway. It's not just because he can take away whenever. It's because those of you who are givers know that there is something that happens in us as we give that makes us not just feel better, but become better. And the more you give and the more you focus on others, the more your own problems and issues seem to become smaller and smaller and smaller and occupy less of your time. And as you fill yourself with trying to serve and give and help others, you become invested in a real way in bringing the kingdom of God. And I can't help thinking that there must have been the most bizarre conversation in heaven when God the Father, God the Holy Spirit and God the Son tried to plan the death of Jesus. Because that is the ultimate sacrifice, giving yourself up or giving your son up. But it was done because God knew and Jesus knew that the reward, the joy of having a people of God for eternity was worth it. So as we move into this next series about giving and praying and fasting and seeking the kingdom, I want to encourage you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Nothing else is worth the same. And there's no earthly pleasure or benefit that is more significant or lasting or valuable than serving the King of Kings.